Welcome to season four of the Redefining HR podcast, the podcast formerly known as 21st Century HR. So why the name change? You know, if you follow me, you know that I've recently written a book called Redefining HR, and in the process of writing that, the concept of redefining HR to me was much more aligned with the substance of the conversations that were happening on this podcast. So the name change made sense. If you are interested in that book, I have to plug, of course, it's going to be published in January by Kogan Page, and you can pre-order that at redefininghr.com. So let's get on to this season. This is going to be an incredible lineup. I'm excited to have conversations with talent executives and CEOs from companies including Shopify, Upwork, Bayer, Airbnb, Coda, Coinbase, and many more. And we're going to be bringing those to you every Monday morning, starting right now. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to sit down with Mark Levy. Mark is an industry veteran who is really one of the pioneers of employee experience. And we're going to go deep on the concept of employee experience and particularly how it's so important in today's volatile times. So we're going to be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Human resources, people operations, talent and culture. The truth is it really doesn't matter what you call your team. It's all about what kind of HR you practice. Redefining HR is a podcast exploring the leading edges of the industry. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. I'm an advocate for modern HR and have spent over 20 years in the field exploring people practices as a practitioner, an entrepreneur, an author, and a writer for Fast Company. Each week I sit down with CEOs, chief people officers, and transformative talent leaders to break down how they build progressive people teams and capabilities. This season of the podcast is sponsored by PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout the employee lifecycle, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN puts your employees in control over when, how, and where they receive communications. You can check it out at pynhq.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Redefining HR. I am very excited to be joined today by Mark Levy. Mark is an employee experience advisor and a seasoned HR veteran who's built a range of brands that you definitely know, from Best Buy to Levi Strauss to Gap, Airbnb, Allbirds, Peloton, and many more. So I'm really curious, I think as we look at modern HR today, employee experience is a huge component of that. And there are a few people on the planet better positioned to talk about employee experience than one of the pioneers in Mark. So I'm really excited to dig into that with him today. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners a brief uh, intro and background on you? Sure. So uh, that was a good intro you provided, but essentially I've been in HR and now I call it employee experience for a lot of years. Um, Started out primarily in kind of more creative environments, uh, apparel, retail, um, realized that uh, I wanted to see what it was like to live and work outside of the U.S. after working for some big-hearted global companies, but not feeling like they really understood what it was like um, to bring in and nurture and um, include those outside of the U.S. So I spent about two and a half years in France. It's funny, I took my wife and three kids over there kicking and screaming. Actually, my wife was excited. The kids didn't know what they were getting into. And then I had to do the same thing 
coming back because uh, they were so thrilled with what we found when we were there that bringing them back was tough. And uh, learned a lot about what it was like to um, live and work outside of the U.S. and um, how ethnocentric we can be here. And then um, got into the head of talent for Landor Associates, uh, which took me out of apparel and retail, but kept me in the creative space. And then was fortunate enough to uh, get tapped on the shoulder to join Airbnb and really things changed once I got there. And um, with my team kind of defined this new way of looking at HR called employee experience. Yeah, and I'd love to just start there. I mean, for listeners, I imagine if you listen to this podcast, you've heard the term employee experience. But uh, for listeners who maybe don't have as much direct experience, let's level set a bit. How would you define employee experience? Well, I would define it as kind of three things. One is it's a mindset shift. Two, um, it's a ways of working shift. And three, it's an organizational shift. So relative to mindset, um, it's really about doing things with and for your employees, not to them. And it's uh, it's all about co-creation, human-centered design, agile, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's less about um, kind of following this path of, of a planned approach and, and more of just being open-minded to understanding that the best people to help you to figure out what's, what's going to be the way in which you are going to deliver on your customer promise and have empathy for your customer and be effective in, um, in your business is by engaging your employees in a way that helps them to feel what it is that you want them to be and do with your customers. And so um, it's not an HR initiative from my perspective, it's a company-wide initiative. It's not a function within HR. To me, it's a monumental shift to looking at how HR organizations are structured in a broader way, including things like food, facility, safety, security, environments, mission and values, internal comms, wellness, social impact, and then how it is that that both the employee experience team, but also adjacent functions like finance and IT and other functions look at the employees as customers and figure out how they can set them up for success to do their job and to deliver on the customer's um, needs and promise. Yeah, and that's interesting. So, from your perspective, you know, you you don't see uh, employee experience kind of as a as a component of HR. You see it as a as a different way of thinking about you know HR altogether. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And what you know when you when you look at you know you've had the opportunity to work with some pretty progressive organizations. Uh, I mean, it sounds like organizations obviously working with you that have embraced that shift. What are the impediments? You know, when you think about uh, kind of one, you know, HR being a spectrum and you have legacy oriented, kind of more transactional HR, and then you have this modern progressive thinking around, um, you know, concepts like employee experience. What do you think are some of the blockers in the way of kind of getting that more legacy orientation, you know, upgraded, if you will, to the modern thinking? Um, I, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges is that um, either CEOs or leadership teams or heads of HR um, have gotten to a place where they feel like they need to have all the answers and or 
Um, they want to have the information and hold it close to them or, and that's how they kind of define power. Um, I also think, uh, another thing or a separate thing is that there is a bit of skepticism. Um, a lot I hear about millennials and the younger generation, and I don't think that it's true that they don't want to work hard. And I don't think it's true that they don't have, um, a lot to offer. And in fact, you know, my experience at Airbnb, where the founders were in their late 20s and the average age was not even 30, I couldn't believe the number of really smart, really um, dedicated, inc incredibly passionate people there were. And age was, it was just not an issue. It wasn't an issue how young we were, and it really wasn't an issue with how old you were. It was all a matter of, we were there for the mission and we were going to figure out how to disrupt the travel industry. We we're going to help to figure out how to create belonging in the world. And so I think, I think it's really interesting now to reflect back after um, we've all been working remotely for however long. It seems like a year. It's probably been about <laughs> six months. But how skeptical a lot of people were when, when we had to all make the shift. There wasn't a question. It was kind of a level setter. And how many skeptics um, became believers and it took kind of this pandemic to have them understand that I don't need to have people physically at work and see them and have them have long commutes and have them under my control. People really do have good intentions and they are capable of, of doing work remotely and, and being kind of self-driven and, and organizing themselves in a way that doesn't have to have as much structure. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think that to answer your question, the biggest challenge has been with either a leadership mindset um, or some sort of misconception of, of employees and in particular younger employees and younger generations. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you mentioned COVID. I definitely want to spend some time with you on that uh, in this episode, but it's kind of been a big reset for the field, right? It's been a catalyst to, we, we've been forced to shift to remote. We've been forced uh, to, to view things differently and approach things differently. And, and I think that opened the door for a lot of HR teams that, you know, maybe, maybe they had the right intentions, but the CEO or the executive team was resistant, you know, and this was kind of a forcing function for them to, to rethink that. So I think that that it, it's interesting to see uh, how that's going to kind of evolve um, as time goes by. You know, one question for you, when you think about, uh, I like the way you framed employee experiences, uh, programs kind of developed with and for the employees as opposed to to employees. You know, how do you recommend when you're advising companies uh, that are, are looking to really kind of tap into that employee sentiment and feedback to help in, to help inform and kind of direct the kind of programs they develop to support them and allow them to do their best work. What are some of the best kind of mechanisms to do that? Yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing would be to think about everything needs to emanate from the business strategy. And, and um, I've been through a lot of annual planning processes and most of them pretty painful. Um, but I think that including them in the strategy of the company, both what, you know, short-term and long-term, but then really understanding once you have that strategy, what it's going to take to be successful, to be able to achieve that strategy is, is where I would start. And um, so that that's uh, a, a lot of co-creation rather than 
this idea of uh, we're going to go off to an offsite and the leadership team is going to come back and tell you what we're going to do next year and the next five years. And, and by doing that, you're really including the folks that are closest to the customer and know what's working, what's not working um, to help you to figure out where you need to go. And, and the other thing I guess I'd say is in, in like a very practical way, for example, when I started Allbirds, uh, I went there and we talked about making the shift from HR to employee experience. So I had to explain what that meant there. And then I had to show it. And the way that I showed it was by saying, all right, here, and here's an example. We're going to take on some more space because we run out of space. And so rather than just taking an additional piece of real estate and, and kind of fitting it out the way we've done it before, who's interested in figuring out how we want to reinvent the workplace so that it helps us to do our best work to help us feel more connected, um, to help us work cross-functionally. And one of the first things I did was actually take the this one of the co-founders, Tim, um, and some of our other folks over to Airbnb and show them what it looks like when you create a when you co-create a space with your employees and they help you figure out how they want to work. And we did a great job of using workshops and surveys and having an iterative process to recreate what the workplace looked like there. And so I asked who was interested. Um, we had a live workshop and then I put everything into a Google doc. And I said, if you can't come, here's, here's a Google doc. You can jump into, share your ideas and thoughts. And, and the other thing that's I think really important with employee experience is that you want to have filters. And so, the filters we used for how we were going to make decisions or create programs was to really leverage the mission and the values and the brand pillars. So for example, at Allbirds, our brand pillars were about sustainability, comfort, and design. And so those were like perfect um, ideas to ask the employees about how those things um, play out in the workplace. So how do you want to make the workplace more comfortable? How do you want to make it better designed? And how do you want to make it more sustainable? And so with, you know, some guardrails, we had really good conversations. And they told us about how they how often they wanted to sit, how often they wanted to stand, which groups needed to be closer to each other. And some great ideas around, um, you know, collaboration and community spaces. You know, they also talked about some wellness issues that they wanted to try and solve for. And so I'd say the most practical thing is to find something that you're doing and then figure out how you have the conversation with those that are interested and then have them co-create with you. The other thing I'll say, I, maybe I'll cut you off at the pass on this question is it's not about entitlement. It's because that's that's the other thing that people were quite concerned about when I talked about employee experience. And they're like, well, we're just going to create a bunch of spoiled employees who get what they want or think they can get what they want. <laughs> right. And that's that's not the case at all. I, I, I mean, it could be, but not when you start out by saying, hey, I want to hear your opinion, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do what you want us to do. It's like I always ask how many of you are parents. You know, if, if that's what's how parents helped raise their children, you'd be poor and you'd probably, you know, end up be cra being crazy. So we talk about having a finite um, set of resources. We talk about having a budget. And a lot of times what we're talking about is really trade-offs. Okay, you want to have childcare? Well, that's going to cost approximately this much. So what are you willing to give up? Right. And so 
I think those are kind of practical ways and also some kind of guardrails you can use to, to really start this process of, of working with an employee experience mindset. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that analogy that you've walked through, I mean, that example you've walked through, I think around co-creation and involving employees is, you know, more relevant than ever now, right? We're, we're in an environment where, where it's obviously, we're recording this during times of COVID, uh, where lots of employees are now remote and distributed. Uh, we're talking about returning to work. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't know what that's going to look like. Um, we don't know the very role of an office, you know, moving right. forward. And I'm curious from your perspective, like, what do you what do you see as being the role in the office? Uh, you know, I guess you know, you know, now you know, it's hard to say that right now because now I think for most companies with employees that can work remotely, they're still doing so, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, but as we start to move through COVID and it becomes safer to begin bringing people back into an office, what's the role of an office? Yeah. Well, you're not going to be surprised, but I would suggest that that's a conversation that uh, companies have with their employees. My, my perspective is that, um, and you're already seeing it, that what people are finding out, and that's because I think the pandemic really um, pushed hard on companies understanding what employees think, and they're having a lot more um, ask me anything sessions. They're having a lot more Q and A's. They're having a lot more um, employee engagement surveys, pulse surveys, etc. And what employees are are constantly talking about is that they're doing well working from home. That they are finding their themselves to be more productive. That they're finding themselves to be able to learn more even about. Um, their coworkers. I have a daughter who's working from home uh, from a company based in New York, and she's out here in in California. And she's like, between you know, meeting my coworkers' cats and dogs, or their partners, <laughs> or seeing where they live, I never saw any of that. Um, I never knew any of that when I worked with them in New York. When you know, people are commuting from afar to get to the office, right? So, uh, personally, I think that what you'll hear from employees is that they want the workplace to be someplace they can go for community, for um, collaboration and or for learning, but they don't want it to be a place where they have to go every single day and plop themselves down in a chair and, and you know, take a lot of time out of their precious day. And so I think that's what we're gonna end up with. I, I you know, you see some of these large consulting firms and, and um, and accounting firms, and they're talking about decreasing their footprint, you know, 40-50%. And I think that they learned pretty quickly that they were wasting a lot of money on real estate. And if they did the work, they probably saw a lot of people weren't even in the office. And so I think that the thing to be doing right now is to be having the conversation with your employees around what they think, rather than being focused on a date or when you can, you know, when we think you'll come back. And I mean, clearly you need to focus on what safety and security is going to look like and, and make sure that people feel comfortable that when they do come back, that they'll be taken care of and there'll be the right measures in place. But I think more importantly is why would you come back? And when you do, what's that going to look like? And how do we set it up in a way that's going to be more conducive to what the future of work will look like rather than what it was when you left? Yeah, you know, that's that's such a good point. And I think that the field of HR right now, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're grappling with that. We like to work generally in absolutes. And we certainly don't have absolutes, you know, right now. And I think 
what, what I like to see and where I think employee experience uh, actually is hugely beneficial to teams is really understanding what your employees want and need and building to support that. So, you know, it's not going to be, uh, it's never going to be, I don't think, completely like it was in January with everybody coming to an office for those companies that didn't have remote. Uh, it's not going to be 100% remote. It's going to be somewhere in between. But I think yeah. in particular, when you can, when you have these kind of listening and co-creation uh, mechanisms in place and you can really understand and support uh, what your employees need, you know, ideally even down where you can to the individual level to allow them to kind of work within what's going to be best for them. And especially in the U.S. as we're navigating, you know, childcare and homeschooling and just so many different variables that are caused by this COVID reality we're in, um, the, you know, the idea of really, you know, leveraging employee experience and building catered uh, systems to support employees where they need to be supported, I think is really key. Um you know, the, the field of HR has always been difficult. And I think if 2020 is certainly, uh, you know, ratchet that up uh, by orders of magnitude, whether it's, you know, COVID, whether it's the heightened consciousness and conversation around social injustice, you know, when you think about employee experience in these times specifically in kind of 2020, uh, walk me through just some of the advantages of having, you know, this kind of more uh, employee kind of co-created uh, approach versus more of the traditional top-down kind of HR, this is how it's going to be approach? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I'll, I'll use the George Floyd murder as an example. Um, I led a number of workshops around um, addressing systemic racial inequality and how employers were dealing with this both internally and externally. And there was a variety of, of HR professionals that were on those calls. And it's very interesting that the, I think the good news um, about the pandemic and the rise of this conversation needing to happen is that I think CEOs and HR professionals are realizing that you can't ignore what's going on in the world when you're dealing with your employees and that you have to have the right conversations and you have to understand how to listen and how to learn and then how to take action. Um, what I found um, interesting in those conversations though, was that there was a lot of companies that had not given this much thought and that the first thing that they did was jump on the bandwagon of putting on, you know, the all black banner or proclaiming how much money they were going to give to some, um, uh, black organization, right. and it was really sh shallow and hollow, and it wasn't in line with their mission or values. It wasn't authentic, um, and in some cases, it wasn't consistent with the way they behaved before, and a lot of them ended up getting called out, whether it was by their employees or by their customers or by the media, and it turned into a bit of a, you know, clusterfuck, excuse my French, um, and and the companies that did it best were the companies that took a pause. And the first thing that they did was deploy an employee experience approach, which was, hey, this is an issue around blacks. And I'm going to have a conversation. Actually, I'm going to listen and learn from our black employees to understand, A, how are you feeling? And B, how would you like to participate or help us to make sense of this? And then C, what can and should we do as an organization starting inside and then working our way outside 
And, and those are the companies, I think, that had the respect of their employees, starting with their black employees, and then work their way out to deal with this and deal with people's emotions and deal with the way people were feeling both as an employee and as a human being, and then to then deal with it relative to who they are in the world and their customers, et cetera. I mean, Peloton, who I have done some advising work for the last year was amazing about this. And John Foley, their CEO did an incredible job of very quickly um, putting out how he felt and how important um, addressing systemic racism was, and then very quickly came back out with a significant way that they were going to address this. And, and, and it was also amazing to see how some of their instructors, Tunde and others, um, took it upon themselves to figure out how they were going to heal and help their members heal by doing things with and for their members um, through through rides and other ways that they were going to inspire and and deal with the grief and the challenges that people were having. And then Peloton came back and put out um, some serious actions they were taking uh, relative to increasing the hourly pay for, for their um, hourly work staff, which is primarily marginalized uh, communities and how they were putting aside millions, $20 million on um, both education and career development for their hourly employees and how they were going to both donate, how they're going to volunteer. And now they've gone into a very deep conversation around what their social impact strategy is and how they're going to combine what's going on in the world with their mission around empowering others to be their best selves. So um, the ones that did it well, I think were very thoughtful. The ones that didn't are kind of clawing their way out of issues and challenges because they reacted before they really had the right conversations. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I, I distinctly remember a 10 days Black Lives Matter ride for Peloton. And that was probably one of the more moving experiences that I've seen, you know, technically from a company, but just, you know, in response to George, George Floyd's murder, it was just incredible. And I think when you look at uh, your, your point is spot on about a lot of companies that were you know, kind of coming in hot right at the early stages of this and making pledges without really having much introspection, you know, and engaging their their black employees about yeah. how they wanted to be involved and where they were missing the mark and really just being having that thoughtful introspection um, that drove the action as opposed to kind of optical action, uh, you know, right away to try to be fast. Um, you know, I'm curious to me, it's like that that connects to, I think, one of the challenges the HR often has, which is um, we tend to be reactive, uh, you know, whether it's uh, social inequity and social injustice and Black Lives Matter, whether it's the the Me Too movement, um, you know, in the United States, uh, obviously, we're also in a very uh, polarized and heightened political climate right now. And we have an election coming up and, uh, you know, all indications are that this is going to be probably one of the most difficult uh, election cycles and aftermaths that this generation has experienced. And, and I'm curious, you know, as we think about uh, how organizations and teams can take more of an employee experience, um, you know, a- approach and a proactive approach um, towards supporting, uh, you know, people in the workplace. How do we how do we get ahead of perhaps some of these political discussions um, and you know repercussions that will be happening leading up to and beyond the election? Yeah, uh, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I was leading a roundtable 
it's like things evolved over the last six months. The first ones I was leading were around um, remote working, and then it became leading in a remote environment. Then it became how do you create connections um, in a remote workplace? And that's really important. And that's probably a whole nother 30 minutes with you. All right. And then it became the, the reaction to systemic racism. Um, and then it became what do we do about the workplace? And then all of a sudden it became a conversation around burnout um, yeah. because all the data is talking about how much more employees are working, how much more uh, companies are expecting of their employees, how much harder it is to work from home to uh, continue to figure out ways to be effective and efficient, to carry on the relationships that you had in the workplace that were more random or haphazard. And anyway, uh, the burnout discussion was also led to this idea of, well, okay, we couldn't predict the pandemic and we certainly should have been proactive around the issues around racial inequality. What's around the corner that we can be thinking about how we might address knowing that it's coming and the conversation around the election came up. And so one of the things I would say that we, we did at Airbnb pretty well was obviously we were about creating a world where anyone could belong anywhere. And so divisiveness and hatred um, and discrimination were, were the enemy of belonging and Airbnb. So we, we had a lot of fireside chats and, and conversations around those issues. And I use the term issues um, purposefully because uh, when we did some engagement surveys, uh, we realized that the people who we were less focused on at Airbnb or who felt less included or belonged less were introverts and Republicans. Um, and so we realized that a lot of what we did and said was alienating those people. And so I think what companies need to do is, to your point, know that this is going to be a very contentious situation, know that it's happening in November, know with the conventions going on and now, you know, less than three months to the election that there's going to be a lot of conversation. And so I think how to foster the right conversations and dialogue, how to help people in advance say, okay, some of you are going to be thrilled and other you are, are going to be very, very disappointed, but we all need to work together. So how do we anticipate what that's going to be like and figure out what type of events or conversations or, you know, mornings or Slack channels or or whatever we can have so that people can have the right conversations and be able to talk about the issues and the challenges and the concerns and at the same time find out ways to rather than make it divisive to be it to figure out how we make it unifying. So um, what are the what are the things we can do and say and what are the things we can anticipate around our business and about each other that will be affected by what, whatever the outcome of the election is. And that's, it's a challenge to keep it to issues. Um, but I think that's the way to avoid kind of creating divisiveness and, and alienate, alienating people. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that, you know, HR has, uh, you know, unfortunately struggled with a lot, right, is being able to create forums to have those honest and real conversations. Uh, and then, and when, you know, in doing so, it kind of creates an environment where 
that the expectation is that that doesn't seep into the workplace. And that's just not real. And to your point earlier about CEOs being more cognizant of that, uh, I, I think that that's, that's here to stay. And I think we have to be, we have to educate ourselves on how we can better facilitate and create space for those conversations and that dialogue. Um, you know, Mark, last question for you. I know it's uh, it's tricky to make predictions in this volatile world, um, but you know, at some point, we're going to be on the other side of COVID. At some point, there'll be lots of uh, new and embedded practices that will exist as a result. Um, what what thing are you most excited about? You know, when we're where we're fully on the other side of this, and we have new practices and approaches. Uh, you know, what is something that you are kind of looking forward to that maybe is not uh, mainstream within the field now, but will be in a couple of years? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's like I mentioned, I have my daughter working from home here and, and I see how well she's done, even if she's on a different time zone than where she works. And like I mentioned, her connection to her colleagues. And I'm really excited about <clears throat> the future of flexibility, um, the future of a hybrid work situation and the future where people can have more um, ability to create the schedules that work for them. And that's about whether it's family or friends or health or volunteering, but really having a, a greater opportunity to be able to work hard and play hard, but not have it feel like you're working from home or you're living at work, but having this fluidity. Yeah. Uh, you know, the same thing. I, I mean, I've enjoyed we haven't I haven't been on an airplane in six months, which I'm thrilled about. Um, but we have done some road trips and it didn't matter where we went. I was able to work with my with my clients. My wife teaches yoga and she did it through Zoom. My daughter was able to work, you know, continue to work with her uh, company back on the East Coast. And the fluidity is really incredible. And I think that will help make life very different. Um, and, and even the physicality, we talked about the, um, the office and what that's going to be like, but I also think the home's going to be very different. I have a friend who's got a triplex in, in San Francisco and he was putting one on the rental market and it had four bedrooms and he was not surprised, but interested to see that it ended up being a couple who, who ended up renting the place because they both work and they decided they want to have a room for themselves, a guest room or a kid a room for their kid if they have one, and then two offices. And so, you know, just thinking about how it changes both the physical and the emotional and the spiritual uh, situation for all of us, I think will be a lot healthier. Like I said, I spent a couple of years in Europe and I think they have a much better approach to kind of living and working. And I think maybe this will help us here in the U.S. figure out a better way for us to, to, to handle that. Yeah, that's uh, those are all great points, and uh, and I'm I'm optimistic that's the case. I think that uh, you know this has been a great um, you know resetting of priorities for a lot of businesses, for people, uh, for employees, and I I chuckle a little bit as you mentioned the uh, housing setup because my my wife and I recently our, our oldest is in first grade, our youngest is in pre K, and we've uh, spent last week reformatting our playroom into a classroom because they're going to be, uh, you know, taking virtual classes uh, right. this, this entire year. And so I think everybody's yeah. kind of going through that shift. So Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really uh, enjoy learning more about, you know, your kind of journey with employee experience. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of great takeaways for both myself and for listeners. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, 
definitely keep uh, keep pushing the boundaries on employee experience. We'll be following, and uh, and I think this is a great way to be thinking about the field. Thanks, Lars. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.